Do you think about making dynasty trades even while watching football games? Are you thinking of player values when you should be thinking of family values? Then you may have a trading problem. Don't worry, you're not alone. I am Dynasty Outhouse and I have a trading problem. And I'm Brian Haar and I also have a trading problem. Join us for the Trade Addicts podcast where you can be with like-minded people and talk about everything in the NFL in the context of dynasty trade values. News and notes, make amends, keep trade buys, all these things we will cover every week. And don't forget Trade Addicts trades. So when you're done listening to this fine DLF family podcast, please tune in to the Trade Addicts podcast. Thank you and enjoy your podcast. Do you have the time to listen to me grind? Take down the film watchers and nerds all at once. When the mask's not adding up, you better check it out. I'm working to the ground. Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard at PA Howdy on Twitter. This is a member of the DLF family of podcasts, sub to YouTube, I guess. Um, so I uh, really meant to get a guest in this week, and I, uh, as is becoming increasingly common, failed. Um, I do have some requests out, and hopefully we can fix that soon, so I can get someone in here to debate slash disagree slash compare my post-draft feelings, because they're feelings at this point instead of ranks, uh, on some of these rookies, um, and after that's done, we can spiral headily towards projecting the NFL, which we're working on. Um, my first steps towards it are building a a new, if you will, a projection model on stream, on Twitch, on YouTube, um, just just because I thought it'd be fun. It's actually a better way of answering most of the questions I get about doing projections, because what I found is that anything I write or describe how-to-wise in terms of how to do projections kind of rings hollow because the whole process is one of evolution and change and constantly learning and adjusting and finding new ways of tweaking. And that doesn't really help if you don't have a common form of reference which you can both refer to, to what that tweak even means. And so I think, uh, hopefully, that will provide a better answer, I guess. We're like six hours into it, and we've already got a pretty good projection model up. So I guess, sub to YouTube! That's the thing I say now. <sighs> anyway, um, anyway... What am I? What am I to do with my beloved and the core of me, Dynasty Crossroads, in this situation? Uh, I get. I guess you get a Rashad Bateman uh, rant. Yeah, that sounds about right. We're we're talking about rookies, and every year I end up going back and thinking I didn't really nail in all of my takes hard enough in a in a shareable format. You know, they're on different tweets, they're in different articles, they're subsections of different articles. So I thought maybe I just lay this one down in concrete just in case just in case my dreams and hopes and wants come true so um i recently wrote this up for dynasty league football as well but talking about the projections stream we're doing um successfully whenever successively rather successfully is kind of a judgment call but successively uh, whenever i find time between uh, different jobs um one of the questions that came up on stream was aren't you doing team volume wrong? And it turns out, yeah, they had a good point. Uh, I've been consistently using um, coach, head coaching or defaulting to offensive coordinator passing volume over the however many years they've been either. 
Um, from the previous year, using a regression formula, project the team passing pi or rushing pi um, for projections. Now, I over and under project that pretty much at will based on what I think the players are actually going to do. But it's a good starting point to understand what is most likely going to be their volume based on the information we already have. The problem with it, as pointing out by a commenter on the stream, was... Don't different coaches have different consistency or and I've translated that to make it make sense here. But essentially we're using R squared or a metric of how stable or how predictive, which is a bad way of describing it. But still, um, one number is or a set of number is a set of data is for for guessing at um, or explaining the variance in um, the next number to come in the chain. And to put it simply, like, doesn't Bill Belichick have a different score than someone like Joe Brady who just started coaching? And the answer is yes, they should, but I haven't really been doing that, mainly because it's a it's a chore to figure out. But it was asked, and that forced me, forced slash encouraged me to spend the time to do it. And so what I did is go back in and test every individual coach's, head coach's, um own R-squared or own score in terms of predictability of what's going to happen the next season based on what they've done over previous seasons. Found a lot of stuff out, and like I say, I wrote it up for DLF, and hopefully if they accept it, that'll be out soon. But um, one of the things I found is that there is a significant variance between how consistent um, a coach's targets or rushing attempts are year over year. Interestingly, um, John Harbour of the Baltimore Ravens is actually remarkably consistent in terms of his usage overall, although year over year you do see, you know, 670 pass attempt seasons versus last year under 500 for the last two years, actually, passing attempt seasons. Um, overall, looking over his career, he's fairly consistent compared to most head coaches. Um, the head coach I actually found to mo be the most consistent year over year and also the most predictable and operate in the tightest range in terms of whether his passing offense goes up or down within a certain number of passing attempts um, was actually, uh, kind of surprisingly, Doug Peterson. Um, Doug Peterson... Uh, well, his passing volume is basically the most consistent with a head coach with four years or more uh, year, uh, data points that I can actually include in the testing at least. Um, it varies around 4% year over year in terms of the coefficient of variation, which I'm just throwing terms out now as if I know math. But um, the, 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 the instability um, in his passing attempts operates at a 4% level, which the closer you are to zero, the more stable it is. So that's actually incredibly stable. Um, and to emphasize that, you can point out that his offense has either gone up or down on average since he's been a head coach around 35%. Oh, sorry, 35 passing attempts, 35 total passing attempts. That's a really narrow range compared to most co passing um, most head coaches, uh, but that's neither here nor there because that's got naff all to do with Rashad Bateman. So moving on. John Harbour is also one of the most consistent, I would say, based on this new testing. Um, but, you know, the the variance between how much the offense goes up and down is a lot less consistent in terms of coefficient of variation. And also the level of passing attempts up or down on average is a lot higher um, than, for, than for Mr. Doug Peterson. But it still operates within a pretty reasonable range. Um, 
He's actually uh, got like a 36 R squared score, which means nothing to you. So I'm just throwing it out and ignoring it right now. Uh, but his passing attempts go up and down on average around 59 passing attempts in total. Now that could be down or it could be up. And it's just looking the average of the last three times he's been a head coach, which is exactly the last three years. But still, um, that is a fairly tight range, just not when you compare it to someone like uh, Mr. Pedersen. Pedersen? Pedersen. Now I can't even remember how to say his name. That's how long I've been thinking about this stuff. Anyway, um, ultimately what all that boils down to is he put it back in the regression formula it, using the average for coaches that had less than four years of history or using the new R-squared values of coaches who have actually coached for four years or more as a head coach um, and created a new passing total that we expect or is more reasonable to expect for teams next year in 2021 based on the data we have available right now and to emphasize this this is a baseline in that we shouldn't expect it to be accurate because reality has a lot more variance or variations or variables if you want to get really use the right word on it um then this tiny little regression model it doesn't tell you who's going to be struggling and so whose pass attempts balloons up because they're in an effort to keep up or who is going to excel um, in efficiency or which players on which teams are going to excel exceptionally because they're just balling out or having a good season um, and therefore their passing attempts actually drop because they need to pass significantly less than we would have expected them to and you know who's going to get injured and who's going to go on strike I guess and all the other variants and variables that actually have happen in life but based on available information about head coach and previous year passing attempts this I think is a pretty good reasonable expectation now it still puts Baltimore dead last in the league which if nothing else tells you after two years of historically low passing volume yeah it's kind of doing its job it passes the eye test if you will now if we look at the other coach who can be said to have a history of passing that little Pete Carroll there is some significant suggestion that with the development of Russell Wilson since 2012, Peterson, uh, or sorry, Pete Carroll, also had passing uh, attempt volumes around the 480, 490 volume that we've seen from Baltimore over the last few years, but they have increased to over 500 consistently since Russell Wilson was really developed into the job, but never really ballooned up to the 600 ideal passing attempts a year where all the top 24 wide receivers come from without Russell Wilson, but not really because really it's about the share of that offense much more than the overall volume for that offense. And, you know, Cincinnati last year with the breakout of uh, T. Higgins had 597, so not quite um, the 600 uh, ideal, oh, sorry, 560, which is not quite the ideal of 600 passing attempts. Um, also, you know, to throw out some other names randomly, the Los Angeles Chargers have just under 600, and with Keenan Allen once again going off, surprisingly, uh, even though he's still good. Um, I'm, I'm eye testing, sorry, you know, Arizona had 547, there's plenty of valuable wide receiver targets going on over there, and um, Green Bay had 501 last year, apparently, despite Devontae Adams still being incredibly good, so don't get too addicted to the, uh, there needs to be 600 passing attempts volume, the idea is you need a player that is good enough to co-opt a large enough share, even of a reasonable, small passing pie for a, for a team level volume so 
these these numbers come with variance. I'm just pointing or squiggliness to where the top twenty four wide receivers come from. Squiggliness, yeah. I'm just rolling with it. Let's 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 roll with it. Having said that, we don't like to bet on efficiency in fantasy. This is a JJ Zacharyson go to because it is incredibly true and he is incredibly smart and that you don't want to bet someone's going to do more with less what you're looking for in fantasy football is ultimately at both wide receiver and running back and tight end volume now my underlining assumption is that volume really comes from the share of an offense that a player is able to eke out or create for themselves and that is the core of me that is my heart and therefore i believe good players are able to co-opt enough volume to become fantasy relevant even on lower passing offenses or lower quality teams or successful teams that are passing at a lower rate because they are winning so they just run the ball that's that's how that works just in case anyone was uncertain so that does not mean that Baltimore is a bad landing spot, but it also definitely doesn't mean it's a good landing spot, because even given all those exceptions and and little asterisks as I've put on that, like, Marcus Brown had 35% of the team's targets over the last few weeks of the season, and barely cracked fantasy relevance despite playing out of his skin for Marcus Brown's standards in Baltimore. Like, you... It's really hard to get up that high in target share unless you're Keenan Allen or DeAndre Hopkins, who particularly plays that role in terms of a volume wide receiver and is just an exceptional talent at the position. Like, not even Calvin Johnson really needs 30, 40% of the passing attempts or targets, rather, um, in order to be relevant. That's not typical. That's not what we want. And it's not what you want to target in Dynasty. True. But. <laughs> What if my heart won't let me care about that because Rashad Bateman is actually Rashad Bateman, shout out Stephanie Smalls, and I need him to be a thing? Well, we have to, you know, make up some narratives. And to be clear, up until this point, I'm just talking basic statistical theory and things that have happened in the past. And we're moving on to somewhat of my own personal flight of fancy, and I will admit that. I will admit that. But... Other other people are allowed to just use narratives, and they're, like, popular and stuff, and so I get one, too. I get one, okay? So, here we go. What does this mean about Rashad Bateman? Well, ultimately, the base-level assumption is that his upside is a top 36 wide receiver. He played in college much more like a volume wide receiver, like a Drondre Hopkins and a Keenan Allen, much more than he played like a Calvin Johnson or a Julio, who can do a lot more with a lot less if pushed to, even though both were able to co-opt and and Cusa Julio is still able to co-opt incredibly large shares of the offense because they're, they're really freaking good. They're kind of these weird hybrids between those two terms and why, you know, dividing wide receivers between different types is incredibly difficult and never accurate. But, you know, we don't have time in this 30-minute podcast to really get into that. So back to Rashad Bateman. He needs volume and there is no volume. So what does that mean for his overall season? Well, I wrote an article not so long ago, and I'm working on writing the other variants, but about what a good wide receiver season looks like as a rookie. Interestingly enough, there are some arguments to suggest that Michael Pittman, because I think Zach Reed is pretty much the only one that listens to my podcast anymore, I'm pretty sure. So I'll shout out you, Zach, and crossed some of the thresholds of having a good rookie season. Surprised? I kind of was, but it's a little more nuanced. But essentially, one pretty decent, 
if you're only going to look at one thing and you should really never just look at one thing, but let's pretend for the sake of a podcast and the conclusion to an article I wrote once that you can only look at one thing. Basically, you have to get of 600 yards, okay? You need to get 600 receiving yards at the wide receiver position as a rookie to have had a good season. That's not true, but it's a good kind of-ish defaults thing we can throw out and you can go and make a list of players that have over and under 600 receiving yards. To put it in context, that's what Donald Mooney did last year. You're not you're not running to trade all your first-round picks for it, but you're pretty excited about what he was able to do last year, or you should be because, you know, he's lower drafted, and therefore I love him. So, when you take into account a reasonable passing projection for the Baltimore Ravens based on their previous history and the R-squared volume and bolting it together with Z-score. Don't even get me started. I had to learn Z-scores after being, you know, just impervious to the mathematics that was Z-score because I just did not want to know. But I went and learned it to do a new kind of regression formula and it basically projected around 433 passing attempts for Baltimore based on that question from my stream. And that's the expected passing attempt volume, which I think is pretty reasonable. It's about 60 more passing attempts, but remember they were throwing for historic level low volumes. I mean, pretty much only Pete Carroll has ever really done that in the modern NFL. And, you know, that means it's not, that's the definition of not being stable. It's not that I'm ignoring that. It's in fact because of that, that they should rise at least 60 more passing attempts to be, and that is a fairly reasonable expectation. And the regression model still put them bottom last in the NFL for overall passing volume. So don't, you know, come at me too hard for that bit because I've got more things that can be even angrier for you about in this rant. So given that passing attempt volume, Rashad Bateman would have to have 20% of all those passing attempts. And bear in mind, some of those are going to be throwaways or, you know, wildcat runs or, you know, the running backs are going to get some targets. But you have to get 20% of them just to hit 600 yards. And that's if he operates at a slightly less than average ADOT. And wide receivers in the NFL in the first year drafted from the first round, on average, get around an 11 ADOT or 11 yards down the field. We know Rashad Bateman's more of a middle of the field kind of guy or, you know, tagged with slot guy as if slot is a bad word and it's really not but we can't get into that right now either but assuming a slightly uh, lower a dot and very average efficient efficiency of like 0.65 or 0.7 and um, racer which is receiver ever converted receiver air conversion ratio which is the measure of efficiency if you're using air yards and we all love freaking air yards but no one wants to learn what racer means so i realized i probably shouldn't have defined it essentially how efficient you are at converting air yards into receiving yards and it is the efficiency measure of air yards you hear air yards all the time but racer is lesser mentioned. Whopper is also a really good one. But we're sticking with racer for right now because that's a mathematical one you need to project receiving yards. Um, think of it as the yards per reception, two yards. Okay? It's the efficiency with which you created those yards. Anyway, so if you multiply that by a pretty reasonable expectation of his ADOT, you know, not Juju Smith-Schuster last year because that was freaking ridiculous, but also not Marcus Brown because that's a higher ADOT playing further down the field. Middle of the field guy, whether that's X or Y or Z or Q, I don't know, or ask a film grinder next time I meet one, but an ADOT of 10 with a reasonable expectation of 
league average efficiency, he would need 20% of those 433 overall passing attempts, which is already inflated because some of them aren't actually going to be targets, as I mentioned, to get 600 yards, and that's the bare minimum threshold of having a quote-unquote good rookie season. In other words, that ain't good. On average, rookie wide receivers in their first year drafted in the first round average 16% target share. So that's 4% less than what we would need in this reasonable expectation for him to get to that 600 yards so everyone will go, ah, actually, Rashad Bateman had a pretty good rookie season, and that sucks. Yes, that's the case against him. That's what should be our default assumption of the haters, because you're all haters, and stop it because Rashad Bateman is Rashad Bateman. I don't know why I went down that road, but here we are. Um, so, 20% of the team's targets. However, having said that, you know, like, Freaking Des Bryant got 9% of the targets last year, and, and, and Mark Andrews, playing in six games, got up to around that level of target volume, well, around the 16% mark, in 2020. It is very much within reason, if Rashad Bateman is as good as my hopes and dreams suggest he could be, that he has a good rookie season, if not a great fantasy season in his rookie year. And if you're expecting great fantasy seasons from rookie wide receivers, well, do I have a finger to wag at you, young sir or madam? Because that's not what we do, right? But we do want good rookie seasons, because pretty much if a player doesn't elevate in value in that we appreciated their first season, in their sophomore offseason they pretty much miss 94% of the time. So I do need everyone to enjoy his rookie season just so my hopes and dreams don't get crushed. That's dynasty theory paired with vague statistical analysis underlying and the assumption that I'm telling you is very reasonable to expect him to disappoint, but I want him not to... I want him to up a point. What's, what's the opposite of disappoint? I can't even think of that word right now, but here we are, so moving on. So, I understand why Jalen Waddle, who basically has such a small sample size in college, I can't tell you if he's good or bad. I just assume he's bad because no player has played that little to fit the caveat of I can't fully decide if he's good or bad, and then gone on to be good in the NFL. I'm just relying on the fact it's never happened before to assume Jalen Waddle is less likely to happen, despite various film grinders screaming at me that you ha I have to watch the tape and I don't know why they want me to because they should know by now that would have bad I'm not doing it because like like I'm secretly holding a, a really good opinion on tape it's because I would get it wrong I, I'm pretty sure I'd get it wrong I should not watch the tape you watch the tape and instead of shouting watch the tape at me Tell me what's on the tape. That would be more helpful. And the likes of Zach Reed and a few other uh, tape grinders who say there's definitely skill there, but it's limited and he's underdeveloped, which very much fits the definition of a player that lots of per-game or truncated season lovers like to thrust upon us when a player doesn't play enough and, and has below average stats. But I do see the hope in that he didn't play enough, and there are significant positives on his profile. He actually had a really interesting best year in terms of yards per team pass attempt. That's not something Devontae Smith can boast. He has nothing but below average stats. Jalen Waddle, at least in his best attempt at playing a college season, actually had some really interesting role merged with volume 
stats. That shows the potential in his profile and that he was actually doing interesting things in college, unlike Devontae Smith, who literally never did at me. He didn't. Like, I've already been spanked online by the best in the industry with this take. I Like, come at me, man. I, I don't care at this point. It's, I don't care. He was below average. Even if you just take into account the start of his 2020, he only ever recorded below average stats. And I'm going to stand that one, apparently. Anyway, so Jalen Waddell, I get. He's going to a better team with better expectations of potentially more volume. Well, not a better team, but a team with potentially more volume available for wide receivers. And don't get me started on how often I'm getting tagged with vacated target freaking comments on Twitter at these at this point. It's like it's like every ten minutes. Guys, thank you. I am really enjoying it. Keep it up. Anyway, <laughs> um so I get that. And the fact that his profile is kind of a mystery to me. I understand the alloy. He's almost one of the type of players I will never get right, but I will never rank outside of, you know, significance based compared to ADP because I don't know enough to say that he is definitely not a hit, and it can happen. I mean, Kelvin Benjamin happened. Let's go, you know? So, and he looks nothing and plays nothing like Kelvin Benjamin. Obviously, I'm not making a tape comparison there. Who thinks I'm making tape comparisons when I think things like that, by the way? Like, what? What did? how much have you missed? Anyway, getting back to it. So, I understand if you love Jalen Waddle, if that is the guy you want to stand for in the first round, I get taking Jalen Waddle over him. I get taking Devontae Smith over him. Actually, I was saying Devontae Smith early instead of Terrace Marshall, wasn't I? Dang it, I'm not re-recording. Go back and re-edit that in your memories. I appreciate it. Anyway, um, I get taking Devontae Smith over him because he has a better expectation of having a top 12 wide receiver season, given where he's coming from in college, and the fact his last two years were above average as well, and this really is an accumulative thing. You have a good or you have a bad college season. Both of them had good college seasons, and I don't really care about Mr. Smith's BMI, so I'm good with it. But Rashad Bateman really isn't getting drafted in that conversation. It's Jamar Chase, a big gap, as there should be. Then Smith, then maybe Rondell Moore, Elijah Moore, um, Rashad Bateman, and Jalen Waddle. And they're all getting grouped together. Um, Elijah Moore is falling to the second round most commonly, and that's another conversation we have to have on here. Like, that is just my favorite thing about this draft year. But you do have to choose between Jalen Waddle. Rondell Moore and Rashad Bateman. That's a conversation we have to have this year, or a decision we have to make. Now, fortunately, I stand for Rashad Bateman. So Devontae Smith's usually gone, and I take Bateman over Rondell Moore, and I hate it, but that's where I'm at. If you want to take Jalen Waddle, like I just said, I get it. If he's your guy, whatever your process is, do it, but you will know exactly why I won't. I just won't. He didn't prove himself to be good in college because he didn't play enough. That doesn't mean he wasn't capable of it or wouldn't have done it if he played more. It just means I literally don't know. Rashad Bateman played more and did the things that I think put him as having college production in common with previous breakouts. That's that's the argument. Ronda Moore, why? Well, he only did it in one year. Rashad Bateman did it in three plus years and exceptionally better outside of that age 18 season, then Rondell Moore. And I think Bateman's going to a better team. 
What? Did I just say that? Yes. Because while I love Rondell Moore's age 18 season, I love all of Bateman's college season, despite coming from a lower conference, which has pretty much been adjusted by since he was taken in the first round in the NFL draft. I don't like Rondell Moore any less, but it adds gas to the fire of both had good college seasons and Bateman got first round draft capital. And once we compare the landing spots... Yeah, there's lower expectation of volume for Baltimore, but Baltimore is definitely a better team overall. Now, I know lots more fantasy-relevant players because of that volume pie are going to come from Arizona. Don't get me wrong, I believe in that. But Moore's getting drafted behind Andre Hopkins, who still exists. Christian Kirk, who's been above-average co-opter of target share, at least, with Larry Fitzgerald on the field, which means he's definitely no slouch, even if the potential upside of his fantasy life may have fallen out of the way and Kyler Murray who you know is short and stuff and actually is like in my top five uh, in projections for 2021 so forget I said that but it is a competitive situation on a higher volume team and both have this stigma of a low volume guy but I believe that more for Ronda Moore than I do for Bateman. Bateman showed a capacity to be the guy for a team, as in the number one volume player, the wide receiver one of the team. Rondo Moore, I didn't, I mean, he he played that one year and he was very much not really playing that role, despite being incredibly efficient and having great yards per team pass attempt. So between the two, I'll take the better team with a lower passing volume and less competition, even though I do think Marcus Brown is actually very good and has... N- fantasy players think of him as a flop but really he's an NFL success because I mean he didn't look on Treb while the team's keeping him around despite continually trying to add to the receiving corp depth and yes Mark Andrews is there so there is competition but you can convert Rashad Bateman's name into Rashad Bayman really easily that's it <laughs> that's why not really um yeah, that's what the conversation is for me. It's Rondell Moore or Rashad Bateman. Jalen Waddle drops below both of them, despite trying to pay respect to very good people who have their own process, who tell me there's more to his profile that I couldn't possibly have seen. But these two did it. And so I'm not going to elevate someone who didn't do it over players that did do the things that I like. Just not going to do it. And BMI or size or height Twitter ain't going to force me to do it because... That's me, I guess. Because it, it, it doesn't bear out that way. Just being taller and bigger doesn't mean you're more likely to have done something. Be, because you're taller and bigger, it would be great if you were better, but you didn't show yourself to be better. So what can I do? Like, no. So, it becomes between Rondell Moore and uh, Rashad Bateman. So far, I've taken Bateman mostly for the lulls because I really want it to happen and that would be fun for me. And, but also because the one time I got to draft Rashad Bateman, Rondell Moore was already gone. If you want to choose Rondell Moore over Rashad Bateman, I actually think that's also a perfectly fine conversation. And in fact, it's really difficult for me to separate them. Man. Rashad Bateman is like actually a tier above in terms of overall prospect. But it's, again, because Rondell Moore missed those never played more than six, more than four games again in college after the age 18 season... Um, but his age 18 season is good enough that I'm willing to compare him to Rashad Bateman. But a choice between the two, again, I default to I'm going to take the player who did it instead of the player I think would have kept doing it. And that's it. 
Um, do I have some other stat stuff I can rely on? Yeah. But that's that, that's that's pretty much the answer. I would say there's a really strong case that even in a smaller passing offense, a smaller passing offense that's more efficient probably comes from a from a team where we have trust in the head coach to be efficient to adjust to where his skill position players play and where they are good and and other such narrative arguments um, but really they're just narratives that I can pile on top of this argument that but that's what it is that's what it is I think Richard Bateman is I, I literally think he was as good in college as Jamar Chase and played three years instead of two, which means I can be a little more certain that he's that good in terms of being a productive player in college. Jamar Chase measures as something slightly different in that he is slightly larger. He is coming from a slightly better conference and got as much draft capital. And that's why there's a very significant, if not big, tear break between Jamar Chase and everyone else in this class. And then it comes down to Ronda Moore, Rashad Bateman, and Moore's getting drafted before I can even do it. And Rashad Bateman's just sitting there waiting for me. I know I've got Elijah Moore in the second, although so far that's been an expensive second pick to trade for so far because everyone apparently knows that I love Elijah Moore. And Gabe Gearing from the Open Bar podcast just really hurt my feelings in one of my drafts by intentionally taking... Elijah Moore right ahead of me. I really thought he was just going to... F- anyway. Um, but I don't have to worry about him in this spot. It's really Rondell Moore that I'm missing out on, which means I probably have to make some effort to go get Rondell Moore on some teams because I really do like that guy as well. Everyone else around them, Devontae Smith, I'm missing out on because he's falling between the tiers, so maybe he's a T. Higgins of this year, but I really don't care in this class. I want to trade up for Chase. I want to trade up for Elijah Moore in the early second and I want I really enjoy getting Rashad Bateman late first um it should probably be Rondell Moore just because of the passing volume of the offense but I mean how do you compare you know 150 less passing attempts and DeAndre Hopkins definitely taking 150 extra passing attempts off the top of that offense I don't know, but I think both could have very good rookie seasons, and Rashad Bateman's getting slightly undervalued because of the very reasonable concerns of the reality of the head coach. It's not a myth this time I'm debunking on this podcast. It's a reality I'm accepting on this podcast, I guess, although the myth titles really do get more traction, so I should probably find a way to call it a myth. But really, it's a reality. Anyway, that's my Rashad Bateman stance. That's where I'm at. Um, and it's working through this process has really helped me define my ranks. I hope it's pretty clear right now. I have pretty well-defined wide receiver post-draft ranks. About to lock him in and never change him again. Um, Devontae Smith is the one that's getting lost in the middle there. And Rondell Moore and Rashad Bateman are having a tussle at 3 and 4. And... Um, Elijah Moore is only saved from that tussle because people are letting him fall to the early second round, and I just, I'm really a big fan of that. Just in case you're out there still drafting, just check out that early second round. Maybe trade up there before before the draft gets there because because Elijah Moore might be hanging around there, and that's that's a really fun pick, or that's one that I would, I'm definitely targeting. But everyone in my draft knows, like. Gabe Gearing has reminded me of that pick several times, and I am. He is. He is. 
very successfully tilting me with that with that reminder. Let's say that. <laughs> but it was a good pick by him. Um, anyway, so that's this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, or got some value out of it. I think there was some valuable stuff at the start. And after that, it was just a love fest for please, please, maybe. Could he maybe be a thing? Because I would really enjoy it. Um, if only to you know verify that Tyler Johnson is only unsuccessful because the NFL just took a disliking to him and because if some other player from that team well the other player from that team with comparable production numbers can go got first round draft capital already already suggesting that tyler johnson fell for some reason no one will say like just him hitting would also be exceptionally awesome i feel um anyway Thanks again for listening to the Dynasty Crossroads. Hit me up at PA Howdy if you want to disagree with me on this because I do enjoy the back and forth. I really do. I appreciate a a few of you must have uh, subscribed to the YouTube channel despite the fact I still hate saying that because there's no way I'm getting comments and talks and uh, actual actual subscriptions over there if you weren't. So I really appreciate that. And um, yeah, yeah just really appreciate you i guess yeah i think that's sweet this is how you end podcasts i'm pretty sure yeah all right thanks again i'll talk to you again next week um rashad bateman for life it's it's gonna not be pretty i can feel it but i'm i'm here for it let's go yeah chicken a crow chicken a crow crossing the road go clicking a poll twitter is gold player unfold so Jake on the table and Nate on the place, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight. Back and forth, there is no order, they disorder more and more. Because the players ain't no older, they some hoarders or some mortars. Dropping bombs without no borders, they got that eye like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds. So, Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds. So, Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.